0: Hey there! Welcome to ATL and Twenty Nine, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops, and Glenn, the Hawks needed shooting today on the first day of free agency. They officially brought in Tony Snell. What do you think about the Hawks' small forward prospects now?
1: I think they have one more than they had. A few days, and they had a few days ago. I, I mean, it's kind of funny. I know that we're it's in, uh you know, this this kickoff here is a joke about spending maybe thirty, thirty-five minutes on Tony Snell about two, three hours ago. I thought that might be what we actually ended up doing, <laughs> depending on how the evening continued or <laughs> not. But I mean, I'm excited about Tony Snell. I wrote about uh, that. It was uh, Peace 3 Hoops. The uh, article went up this morning, so. You know, my thoughts are there, but I'm happy to, to, to hash through that you know in conversation here if you want. But uh, you know, this is your podcast and we'll talk about uh, topics uh, in the order in which you uh, teed them up for us.
0: Yeah, well we should we should do Galllinary first. Uh, <laughs> when we first planned out this uh, idea of doing an episode tonight, I asked you if you wanted to do it at six o'clock. That didn't work with six o'clock Eastern time. I know you're further west. That didn't work with your work schedule. So we postponed it till ten thirty, which uh, ended up being when everything seems to be happening. In fact, I haven't really looked for the last ten minutes, so who knows? The whole world could have collapsed. Oh look, Russell Westbrook for John Wall. Okay, yeah, not that's still like in the sketchy stage. That's not. But man, I mean, it's all happening, including the fact that in that Tony Snell deal. Uh, the Pistons got Dwayne Dedman, Pistons are signing all sorts of people, and it looks like they're going to take that Dedman acquisition and, and use his contract that's, in theory, really a two-year contract, just with very little guaranteed in the second year, and they can they can stretch him uh, to do some of the signings that they've done tonight, which have been quite extensive.
1: Yeah, I, I thank God this is the Hawks podcast, because if we were going to... I mean, chop off the Pistons here, I'd be lost. I, I don't think I could even... I mean, I pride myself on being knowledgeable about the league, generally speaking, and such. Like, if you try to get me to name who I think the starting five for the Pistons to be, I'd be <laughs> totally lost on that. On that. So, <laughs> I, I don't know what Mr. Troy Weaver is doing up there in Detroit. They have, like, 80 centers, and everybody else at the other positions are all, like, rookies and second-year guys, it feels like. So, you know, um, I'm glad we're not... Gonna have to opine on that type of roster for a whole season that feels a little bit like, a little bit like the last two seasons have been for the Hawks. But I don't think that's what the the next season is gonna be. Whether you like or dislike what, what Travis Slink did today,
0: yeah. So I mean I, I'm excited about Tony Snell. He you know you look at some of the players that played for the Hawks last season that didn't shoot, couldn't shoot, uh, a nice combination of both. And I'm talking about wing players. Uh, you don't see all that many of them in the NBA these days, and having some of those minutes eaten up by Tony Snell, uh, you know, that's that's an enticing prospect, but, uh, you know, I think what everybody's interested in tonight is, you know, there were a bunch of names on the table for the Hawks. Um, Joe Harris is staying with Brooklyn. We still don't know what Bogdanovich is, there was the Sportando report that, he was uh, leaning Hawks. There's Gordon Hayward, who opted into free agency. But I think of all the names that were out there, uh, the one that maybe clashes with the col- uh, with the future of John Collins at, in Atlanta the most is Gallinari. Because you look at last season uh, in Oklahoma City, they played extremely small. I mean, they were playing three-guard lineups. So that made Gallinari the de facto power forward, which if you look now and three years from now, because it's a three-year contract, that seems to be his long-term future, uh, at least in part. And so then the natural question becomes, well, if you're paying Gallinari this much, what's to become a John Collins?
1: Yeah, I think that's the, the question on everyone's mind, now that we've had a little bit of time to digest the fact that Gallinara is going to be on this team. Um, I, you know, I'm of the mind that I'm always happy to let things kind of play themselves out and to not feel like we have to make a decision about um, what should happen, what should Travis Link do, like, today or this weekend uh, or what have you. I mean, I would be fine just letting this play itself out a bit, Um, you know, but I have to also say that, you know, Travis Slake is not just kind of managing a process on a piece of paper. There, there are people and there are um, dynamics uh, at play here and the least of which would be John Collins agent. his representation is not going to want to see Collins enter a year, assuming there's not going to be an extension agreed to um, in which he's headed towards restricted free agency. They are going to want him featured more than he has ever been before, if not at least as much as he has been the last couple of years. And the presence of Gallinari on this roster seems to put a, you know, a major, um, you know, downside to Collins being able to kind of be featured in the way that he was. So, um, you know, like, like I said, I'd be happy to let this play itself out for a bit. I don't think that I think it'd be really hard for Travis link to get everyone, all of the stakeholders, of this, if you will, to kind of agree to let that happen. I think that's going to be a pretty hard thing to see through.
0: So as you look forward to minutes and things like that and starting jobs, I mean, does whether or not you start matter that much? Uh, And maybe that goes on a person-by-person basis, but now that Gallinari has his money, and, he, you know, you mentioned John going into a year where he's going to be a restricted free agent. Well, Gallinari isn't. He's got his his money going forward, at least in the short term. Can you bring him off the bench if you're paying him that much?
1: I think conceptually in, a, in a, you know, kind of taking the specific names and personalities out of that uh, contemplation, you can. I think it's harder to ask Collins to do that because he is headed towards a payday. Where Gallinari is getting paid and he's secured for the next three years. Um, now, I know that there's a lot of conversation on Twitter and in all the other corners of the internet where Hawks fans talk about the fact that Gallinari can come and call off the bench. And I have to say, you know, it would be harder to ask Collins to do that than Gallinari um, you know, in a way. Uh, but I don't see Gallinari agreeing to this conversation. Uh, contract with the Hawks and, and having any expectation other than the fact that he will start, the, I think the question is, um, it's, it seems most obvious that he is a starting power forward in the league. Um, but I think the question is, is who else starts? I, it's not a question in my mind as to whether Gallinari will start for this team. Come, you know, late December when the season starts up, I think Gallinari will be starting. For me, the question is who are the other starters besides he and Trey and whoever else we assume is maybe already penciled into that five-some. fivesome.
0: <laughs> all right, so so <laughs> in pencil now, no no permanent ink here. You're saying you think Trey Young, Gallinari, and Collins all have to start.
1: I think it's hard to ask Collins to not start. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't if, think that's good. This starting. is obviously assuming this is, this is obviously this is assuming Collins is still on this team, right? That's right. a big thing. But I I think it's basically impossible. And if I could take a, a like a minute and take a big step back here, <laughs> if you look at how Slank operates in the league, yeah, he likes to build goodwill. He likes to build kind of uh, you know good favor with all of his stakeholders. You've seen him make trades to help other teams that need to clear some cap space and he'll you know, do a deal that really doesn't help the Hawks. You'll see, there's a lot of examples of that. He's given contracts. Um, for example, you know, some of the contracts he tended out, maybe the Jabari, a Parker contract a year ago. We don't really know what that was about. It didn't look really great. Kind of going into last season. Uh, it doesn't look great looking back, but Travis has definitely been about building goodwill. And so I I just can't see the style that he's managed with in this role so far, him saying, you know what, John, I don't really care about your contract situation coming up in a year, and John's representatives, I don't really care how much pressure you want to put on me to get him into a specific situation. I cannot see him kind of playing hardball. You know, that's just not the style he's operated with in this role. But is that Um, different?
0: I mean, there's been the mandate that's sort of been spoken a little bit here which is okay now is time to make the playoffs and that hasn't been what's happened in the past I think it's a little was a little there was a little more leeway now or a little more leeway before than there is now in, in light of those things you know there was some open experimentation there was cap space and extra money to be had and tossed around and now uh if you really do think that, okay, well, the Hawks need to make the playoffs this season, that's their goal. Uh, does that change when it becomes a little bit more of a pressure situation?
1: I think it, I think it for sure does. I think, I think the, the environment is different with the expectations elevated. Um, you know, so I think that it would be ridiculous to expect, uh, Travis Link to manage himself exactly the same way with no change. Um, I just can't see him, you know, kind of really, um, you know, flip almost flipping upside down the model, the operating model he's used to date, and and not being a good stakeholder manager, not being a good um, a person that's you know taking good care of the interest of people that are kind of in his sphere and in his circle, if you will. and so, you know, my best guess is that right now, John's, John Collins, his folks are pushing really hard for the best trade situation that will land John in a place where he will be, if not, you know, 1A featured player, 1B featured player in the way that he was the last couple of years when the Hawks weren't winning, winning many games, kind of to your question. And that that's going to be something that Schlenk is going to have to, Probably deal with is getting pushed really hard on that. Um, but coming back to your point around can Collins and Gallinari both start? I uh, understand people that would look at that and say that's crazy. There's no way that could be the case. Um, but you know positions aren't they get a little less. Uh, people want to say positions don't exist anymore. They do. Yeah. Um, but they they do get, get a little more ambiguous. I think every year. And on top of that, you'll see teams manage personalities and manage lineups by starting a group of five players <laughs> that all, you know, maybe need to start, or three of them or four of them must start, even if there's a little bit of redundancy there, and just never go back to that lineup ever again. So play like the first one <laughs> at four minutes, you know, right. and never, never get back to it. That's not, to me, that's not a crazy possibility. I honestly think it, Gallinari will start. If Collins is on this roster, he'll start. I have a hard time seeing Capella not starting um, where he's paid and uh, how much they really do need to move forward defensively this year. And so I really can't see any of those threes, any of those three, not starting. Capella is so low maintenance, but I think if they approached him and said, you know, we're going to bring you off the bench after four minutes or something like that. from a personality perspective, sure, I could see that, but they're going to be down 15 points before they ever get in the game because the defense gonna right. be so bad. Um, and, and, and if you look back at last year, especially last year, their biggest issue was digging big holes early in games. And, you know, starting right. Collins and Gallinari at the 4-5 and five is not going to be any recipe to fix, fix that major issue. So I'm not going to be shocked if they're all on the roster to see all three start but for that to be a lineup that they never really get back to at any point.
0: I agree. And I think Cam Reddish helps you in that regard. Like I th- I think if you start those three together, I think he's the two guard. Like Yes. I don't think it's Hunter. And I don't think it's Herder. I think Cam Reddish would show, you know, with what he could do defensively and some of the other stuff that he did. I just think that he it, it, he he could be the good uh the good glue in triaging that lineup for five minutes a game at the start of the game.
1: He absolutely could. He, he can do so much defensively and he's such a disruptive defender that that's really kind of what he brings to, would bring to force. I think in that scenario it was just, you know, while things are a little bit of a mess um, kind of at the other positions, put him on ball, um, you know, put him, you know, on the other team's primary creator, whatever position that player plays. Right. And let him just be disruptive, until you can kind of get to lineups that have more um, sanity around kind of the the roles fitting together and such. So I, you know, I, I just don't see that being a non-starter the way that some some people might see that being.
0: Yeah, I I worry about Reddish a little bit just in the sense that this is sort of an unprecedented layoff in NBA terms. They stopped playing games in March and we're going to pick up in December. Just for somebody that young with also just the, in, the in-season the in trajectory that he took last season to then follow that up with nine months of, hey, you don't get to do NBA stuff for nine months. It's kind of fascinating in, in kind of a scary way, but uh, I don't know. I'm intrigued.
1: Yeah, it is going to be interesting with him because... I mean, he was so rough, you know, the first month of the season. And we all remember he didn't get to play in summer league because of the injury and he didn't really do anything in camp, you know, ahead of the season starting. So he was behind. Um, But also I just think it was a rough year at Duke for him as well, just because um, for all the reasons everybody knows, you know, he wasn't the guy and there wasn't great spacing, all that sort of stuff. Um, But while, uh, the Hawks coaching staff had him kind of fully within the control of their developmental you know, infrastructure and plan. He did great. I mean, he took strides consistently, you know, month out uh, over month, if not even week by week at sometimes. Right. And so I, I'm with you. There's, there's, he's kind of a mystery, uh, you know, player at this point to see, did he regress or did he just maintain or did he. Were they able to kind of feed him and, and keep him on some sort of plan that he was able to implement with some, you know, independently to some degree and make some progress? I really don't know. I have no idea what to expect and probably will approach him with almost no expectations in terms of where he starts. Exactly. I know that. I, I know I'm not going to overreact to
0: anything. Like, he could look like sure. the NBA's yeah. greatest player in December and I'm going to be, okay, chill. And he could just look like an absolute uh, train derailment and same thing, just chill. Like, I... <laughs> It seems like we've got a wide window of, of possible outcomes. the uh, The confidence interval is is quite large.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I do think that uh, for whatever reason, I mean, it, and I, I sort of despise when fans are hard on players because of their personality. We don't, you know, to a degree. I should preface this: my educational background is psychology and. You know, science tells us that our personality is static eighty you know, eighty percent across our lifetime, that we don't choose a lot of what that is. Um, and I do think that he needs to be in a routine. He strikes me as a guy anyway, that needs to be in a routine and in a structure and have really good frequent reinforcement of the work that he's doing and in the results when they're good. But similarly constructive reinforcement when the results aren't good. And 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 I know the Hawks fans are like crazy excited about him and i totally get that and understand that um but he might have a rough a rough start but um you know if he's anything like he was the player he was you know the last month of the season they played before the season got shut down for them he's the right guy to start with that foursome right that for sure the guy who they would need their best Disruptor on defense to play um, that stretch of the game and it's it's obvious to me that he's he's the guy for that
0: Okay Uh... A lot of ways to go with this
1: It's your show (laughs) (laughs) So to
0: (laughs) What do the Hawks need at this point? Then, you know, what what can you see them doing between now and uh, the start of training camp in terms of what are they? Is it just a pretty much just a point guard that they need, or do you expect something else?
1: Well, I mean, we can maybe get into Kevin Herter a a little bit in my answer here, but I, I I think a lot of it does come down to where the coaching staff and the and the you know basketball ops you know folks kind of sit with herder um in terms of you know his standing with them and we can talk about it a minute but I, i i think a lot of how aggressively they might be still um in the market looking to add another player at the on the wing you know um probably more they need more guard skills more creation still On this roster, uh, because despite how much they let, for example, DeAndre Hunter, you know, operate in their pistol action and their stack series, and, you know, that's X is another term analogy, but they, but basically those are, they let him operate on ball a lot last year. Wait, are you
0: you talking about Herder or Hunter when you say that?
1: Well, Hunter, first of all. Okay. (laughs) So, great. Thank you for that clarification, because I switched topics um, in a not very graceful way. So, because, you know, despite the fact Hunter got a lot of Opportunity on ball last year as they pursue More wins this year. He's probably they're probably don't want to replicate that with him I mean, isn't that just a
0: developmental thing though? I mean like when when Jeremy Lin asked to go and Jeremy Lin did go was like, you know, who's gonna be the point guard now and basically I'm Paraphrasing Schlein probably unfairly, but it was pretty much well We want to train these other guys with the ball in their hands. So let's not use a point guard and I, uh, yeah, per, this I, I this seems feels I, like a not quite to the same extent as that, but yeah, some of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think last season, uh, yeah, you know, they two, didn't really have a ago, great point guard. Play. Yeah, two
1: years ago it was Jeremy Lin, and then when Jeremy Lin got the buyout, it was we want to create opportunity for these other guys, and then it, it was that approach largely last year for yeah. the whole year because they brought in Evan Turner. And I know that they talked about him being the backup point guard, but he was never going to be that. No. I just think now that they really are going to pursue, you know, playoff contention and a playoff berth and and all of that, that that's, they're going to recalibrate a little bit the number of opportunities guys like Hunter will get. And through that, I think that tells me they need more, a little bit more of a guard than a wing. I know that there's a lot of overlap in what those two positions are when we talk about them. Right but i think that i think that they're um, going likely going to be pretty active still looking at the guard position the guy that uh, i had hoped that might be a good player for one year for example is garrett temple mm-hmm. really good he's 35 where did he
0: so, end up was he? where did he, i was going to guess chicago okay
1: chicago, yeah. he got one um, year one, 5 million yeah that's right and that would have been a, for me in my opinion anyway a great fit because he's a really good versatile defender 1 through 3 He's a good creator, a good facilitator, good shooter, super versatile, all that sort of stuff. And they, and it's not like there's not anyone else out there like that. Um, but that's you want what to play I play. Throw some
0: that. names for a second.
1: Um. Well, I mean, uh, it's so hard today because of how many names have crossed. No, I'll list. throw names. <laughs> oh, you do?
0: Sure. Why not? Yeah.
1: Okay. How about I react to your names? Like, yeah, that's that. what
0: I. That's what I was suggesting. I'm oh, sorry. Great. No worries. And again. Apologies if, like, these people already have a home. I don't think they do, but maybe they do.
1: I'm keeping half an eye out for that. Okay, that okay. When wants, when, Melton, when, does Melton have a home? Who?
0: DeAndre Melton? He does not. Could Could you live with him as your backup point guard, given what else you have in, in terms of, like, handling the ball and creation on your roster?
1: Um, You could. I, I think that that impacts the guard, how you'd want to look at your guard depth. I think that you would, if you were going to tab a guy like that going go your rotation, you'd want, like, for me, from a depth perspective, a guy like Shabazz Napier, who, you know, even over the last three, four years, he's gone long stretches with never playing and just stays ready. So you'd want to have a good, you know, depth piece there in case he just... Combust it can <laughs> you know reliably across the season? He's so young and unproven, you know. Right. Um. But but that's a that's a possibility. I think I think where they can get a little bit more experienced players is what, what I think that they're looking for.
0: You said more experience. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Chris
1: Dunn. Uh, I'm not a fan of what he brings on offense. At oh, all, for sure. But that, that would.
0: This is yeah. this is. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about can you triage the offense enough around somebody like that? I mean, it, ideally, do you go for somebody like Trey Young or do you go for like Trey Young's like arch nemesis, opposite in every way?
1: I think you need continuity. I mean, I think bringing in Gallinari, um, you know, he's so deadly in the pick and pop. You're going to want a really good pick and roll point guard. Well, they sh- they should
0: have given yeah. Campazzo his flowers. Who? Uh, Denver got Compazzo today, I think, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, he wasn't on my radar at all, to be honest with you. But, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, a veteran guy like that. He's very um, Trae
0: young like but more of a veteran. Yes, yes. Just but in like, terms of you know, style think, of play.
1: Yeah, like DJ Augustine is probably looking to be on a – like. A stronger team yeah. probably or but take a bigger role. Is, yeah. Something some is,
0: combination of better team, bigger role than what he would get the Hawks, right. because the Hawks yeah, aren't really that like, good of a team, but also Trey I mean, Young's gonna eat up all those minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He I mean TJ Augustine is an A plus pick and roll guard. It's he's ridiculously good. Yeah. And that might that, so that might be an extreme. That's ambitious, of, yeah. You know? So
0: that would be a windfall. what's who's DJ Augustine light?
1: Well, probably, probably, uh, probably Napier. Um, you know, I, I'm curious about if Dallas is going to bring JJ Barret back. He's awesome in the pick and roll, and, uh, and yeah would offer some similar defense to, to Trey in some ways. Not because <laughs> he's not as uh, <clears throat> not as reliable, but he's just physically, you know, not able to I- impact um, right. the, you know, the court in ways that he was. Was able to a few years ago, despite his lack of size and stuff. So the, I mean, there's 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 a few you know real veteran guys out there that can offer some continuity running the pick and roll um, while Trey's sitting. Um, that I think would give this team more punch than like a, a Melton or a Dunwood.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, for people who aren't terribly familiar, tell them about Tony Snell.
1: Yeah, I mean, so the thing that makes me the most excited about Tony Snell is the fact that the Hawks are unquestionably building around an ultra high usage point guard. Um, Trey Young, in my mind, is without question, what, one of the 10 best offensive players in the league right now? I mean... I don't want to sit down and, and you know try to do an, uh, an exercise with you to sort out who those ten are No, and then do like
0: then you get into like comparing him to somebody like Jokic, and it's like, well, how do you compare those two given what right. they're supposed to do?
1: but in terms of a descriptor, I mean that's that's the that's, fair, that's sure. the category he's in right
0: yeah
1: yeah and so um and so what you really want to put around him are guys who really don't have to have a lot of touches and and really are low low maintenance about that. And Will, you know, Tony Snell is a guy who can come out of a a game, hopefully in his mind, a win where he had six points and took five shots and that that was totally fine with him. You know, if the right play is to pass the ball, great. If the right place play is to stand in the corner and, and require the opposing defense not to help off of him because he's such a good shooter, he's fine. And so that's what makes me really, really excited about him is the fact that he just is not going to get bent out of shape if he doesn't get a certain minimum number of touches or a certain minimum number of shots. And that's not intended for me to say that Trey is a selfish player. I just think that Trey has, you know, a ridiculous amount of offensive productivity, you know, combined with some really good efficiency and that the team is going to be its you know, best version really letting Trey do his thing. Right. Um, and that's certainly been the case if you look at, for example, offensive rating and net rating <laughs> like, you know, last year when he was on our offense. Right. It's, it's, like, it it's like really, really good when he's on and historically bad when he's off. Right. Um, and, and part and so of that just,
0: goes back to what we said before about it was almost an intentional hole behind him. There was yes. nobody could do anything remotely like what he did. Well, you feel differently about this topic. Than me. I think, when it regard, when it with regard to one player, Um yes. if I recall correctly, yes. But yeah, I, they they just didn't have a tra- a Trey Young proxy last season. I don't think. You you feel differently yeah. about this,
1: and and, and just, so, just to just to not be ambiguous about that, I like Brandon Goodwin a lot. Kevin is not so bullish on Brandon Goodwin, um, but I will, like I said a few minutes ago, I don't know that Brandon Goodwin is the right guy for this team and for this situation. I think they want more experience and they want a right. a more proven. No, I mean uh, I figure. think he
0: would be the ideal number three option for this job. Yes, and I think yeah. he is. I think he's here to stay. I don't think that they gave him that contract for the season. Uh, thinking anything else? I, I think that there's another player coming in. I think they they definitely want him as uh, as sort of a, a third string point guard, but I don't know. We'll see.
1: Yeah, and as, as 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 much as as high as I am on Goodwin, I think that's the right thing for this team, you know, for sure. And Goodwin can do he's more versatile than probably I think the average fan knows, and can do more than just point guard for you. Um. You know, he has a lot to prove as in terms of whether he can really stick in a rotation for, like, the next three or four years or whatever number of years, you know. So that's – anyway, I'm higher on Goodwin than Kevin is, but we both agree that he's not the ideal um, backup point guard to carry into the season. They need something, you know, a little more proven and reliable experience and all that sort of stuff, I think. So I think we're mostly aligned there. Uh, and, you know, so – but, in terms of you know letting Trey do what he can do featuring Trey in a way that makes the most sense um, for the team, like like I said, you know, if you ask me who is a wing that can you know shoot the ball at a really high level, uh, maybe an elite level, but also just not care how many shots he gets, right. Not care how many minutes he plays in any given game, not care. Um, if he closes a close game or not, he he's just such a low maintenance guy. But he gives you exactly I think what you want to deploy with Trey Young. So it's not that I think like you know Tony Snell is this guy that should have been an All Star a few years ago for team if his team would have just used him correctly. I'm not saying that at all. He's just you know from a the type of player he is and the type of personality he is he is perfect to put on this team if you if the young guys aren't really. Proving to be ready to start in the way that that he needs them to function as starters this year I think he'd be happy to start if he never starts a game this year I think he'd be totally fine with that And so for all of those reasons from a skill set perspective And from a you know a low maintenance personality perspective I think he's perfect
0: Yeah I really like uh, That is he doesn't turn the ball over like at all (laughs) Right, that, that's a good skill to have.
1: Yes, they they led the league in turnovers. Uh, you know, if not, they were number one last year, and were like you know first or second the year before that. You know, depending on if we were looking before or after Jeremy Lin left. You know, so it, that's that's the thing that that matters.
0: <laughs> Where, where's someone like Snell defensively?
1: He's really good. Um, you know, a lot of this comes down to what could be. A, really um technical conversation about what kind of scheme they're going to use and i hit on that in a little bit uh in the article i wrote for p3 hoops but um you know he's not the um and i would say not an above average point of attack defender um but that's probably not what you're going to envision for him um if you're switching i think he's really versatile in that type of scheme Um, Or, you know, if you're doing what I think they're going to do, which is um, in the versus the pick and roll, have the big get up high on the floor and help at the level of the screen, you need long, rangy, smart defenders behind that center to help cover for him in the paint until that big man can recover and get back to the middle of the court. And, And Snell is rangy and smart and active and works hard and so for the direction i think they are going defensively he's just as good a fit of the defensive end of the court as he is on the offensive court in my mind
0: do you think that they this is like just swapping one topic for another because you've intrigued me but do you think that they will do the same thing when it's capella the one who's the one uh, up there defending the screen with trey young
1: i do yeah i mean part of that comes down to how if he's diminished at all from the injury last year from a mobility perspective but i think they were really careful with him um but i the way that they're building the 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 roster um in my mind like bringing in snell um the way that you know they're trying to you know integrate herder for example and even the even the kind of defender hunter is that tells me that they want to get their big man out Away from the rim, helping uh, at the level of the ball screen. If for no other reason, then Trey Young's going to play 35 minutes a game, and he's going to need help when he's put into the pick and roll. Right. You know, and so I, I think just building around Trey almost requires that. And then when you look at the kind of players they have on the roster right now, it further makes me believe that that's what they're going to do. They did more and more of that last year. That's why they brought in Damian Jones. As as rough as he was in so many different other areas, he could get. Up on the floor and recover conceptually. Um, so I you know when that's the case. did he though? I said conceptually. <laughs> okay, that, that was the idea. Um, but you know when when you're you know, when your big man is up, you need long defenders to just show up in the paint right. and just make it look crowded and to still be able to get back out on the perimeter if the ball swings to that side and smell, is long enough to get inside and have presence there, and he's quick enough and long enough to get back out on the perimeter on his side of the floor if the ball is rotated to the weak side. He's really good at that stuff. And I think that that's where they're going with the defensive scheme. I think he's a great fit. On uh, I, Honestly, I'm excited in some ways about just as excited what he offers defensively that their current players don't as, as what he offers defen- offensively with his ability to knock down shots.
0: All right, so let's let's dissect what Gallinari is at this point because we talked more impact on the roster. Like, where where is he? What what should Hawk fans right. expect in terms of, uh, you know, what's going to happen when he's out there on offense? It, you know, we know that he's a good shooter, but what else is there? Where is he defensively? Just everything. Five questions at once for you. Handle them all.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, maybe we start with where he's going to make the biggest impact. And that's clearly on, on offense. Um, okay. So if we, you know, I'll kind of put it, ask this question. I'm not directing this back to you. That's so okay. I'm asking sort of both of us, you know, for guys to play basically full time at the four and five, the last two, three years, whatever it's been, is he the single best you know, three-point shooter, perimeter shooter not just in terms of like pulling up the stats and looking. I think at four that. or
0: five. You would probably say Bertans, maybe. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I that yeah. I mean, but he's he's right there. You know. Yeah, he's. But there. I think about like just other, not that long ago, Pal Gasol knocked down like 42 percent. But um, what uh, Gallinari gives you that's a little different than even, even Bertans is he has a ridiculously quick release for a guy his size. He has a really high release point. And it is, I mean, even, I mean, Bertans is a little slower. I mean, he's not slow, but he's a little slower compared to Gallinari, for example, in comparison, getting his shot off. And that's why Bertans loves to function in transition and in early shot clock to really get his shot up before the defense gets set. Or 29 feet away. Exactly. Gallinari... (laughs) is lightning quick with this release. He has a perfectly high release point. You just can't get to his shot. I mean, if, if you, you know, even have his defender help off like a step or two steps or, you know, two and a half steps or whatever, it's over. You're not you're not going to impact his shot. You're not going to affect his shot. And so that's what he brings that, uh, in my mind, maybe no other player in the league has. And then when you look at what Trey does, Trey... You know, creates so much leverage on the defense. And he is so good at breaking down the the construct and the discipline of the other team's defensive unit and defensive scheme and just freeing guys to shoot the basketball. I mean if if you have if if the other team has to react to Trey's ability to penetrate, make plays, you know whether that's from the perimeter or wherever, He's going to create a ton of open shots for Gallinari, and once Gallinari has the ball, if his guy's not already in his face, it, basically if you let him catch it, it, you, it you're, it's over. You can't really affect his shot. It's What he does, like I said, with his efficiency, getting a shot off, the release point, and his ability to make shots is truly special, and is basically impossible to deal with. Um, and then partnering him with an elite pick-and-roll guy like Trey, it's that's Good, good, good stuff. And going, I know that there's other aspects to Gallinari's um, ability on the court, but when it comes to that, training Gallinari, pick and pop, is I I can't imagine another pairing in the league that's going to be more difficult for defenses to deal with than than they will be.
0: So, if you if you go that route what are you looking for out of the other three players in terms of ability or scheme or setup to run that sort of, I mean, is, is there, is there something that you have to worry about? I mean, is it something that is happening far enough out on the floor that you're really not that concerned about it or.
1: I mean, I'm really not. So last year, the Hawks ran a lot of, you know, double drag or staggered screens where both of the bigs in, you know, one after the other would set screens facing the ball, handler easily tray. Right and typically after the two screens, one dives to the rim and one sets up on the perimeter. Right, and it was really nice last year that Collins really showed the ability to do both. He shot more than forty percent from the three point line, and right. uh, a lot of it was I mean like ninety, like six percent of his attempts or something was above the break and all that sort of stuff. That was great. Um, Gallinari, you know, will be the guy they want to see pop, to, you know, to the three point line and, and show himself as a shooter there which means he'll work with Capella, because Capella is very good diving to the rim. Right. You, you know, when he might play with Collins, that'll be the case. Um, when he might play with Ukunglu, uh, that would be the case. He's really good diving at the rim and probably will be even in his rookie year. And so he complements all three of those guys that might spend time there. You know, Bruno's a different thing. and you know, well, It's probably premature to talk about Gallinari's impact on Bruno uh, Fernando at this point. But yeah, I mean, I think Trey and Gallinari will be ridiculous to deal with. I think that Snell works really, really well because you need someone that will, in some cases, just stand in the corner and create, you know, gravity just through their sheer presence as a shooter uh, in the corner or on the weak side. Um, And, you know, so then it comes down to Hunter, uh, who was a good catch and shoot guy last year and could probably be even better. And then Reddish. The thing with Redis is you don't just want him standing around. You want him doing more than that. And so right. there are things that they'll need to do to figure out how to make sure Redis is getting to do the things that he needs to be able to do. First of all, to help the team. And secondly, to continue developing and into the player he could be.
0: All right. Well, with the flip sides of the ball, Gallinari, if somebody that age, that skill set, does he need to be go ahead I, I won't even narrow your uh, narrow your possible answers here with a question <laughs> just just tell me about Gallinari's defense Talk about
1: yeah talk about this, this um, Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do that um uh well, I mean that's the concern uh for sure he's um, generally not a helpful defender in is a player that needs, other players on the court that can help cover for him to some degree. And we can argue about that's a ton or that's a moderate amount or whatever, Mm -hmm. but typically he's going to need help. Now you can do that by having other excellent defenders on the court that can do that, or you can do that with scheme and with the, you could do that with how effectively the five man unit defends together, you know? So there's a lot of different ways you could uh, approach accounting for that, but he's, at least has size. His difficulty is is quite obviously moving, you know, changing direction, um, running, sprinting out at a shooter on the three point line, and, and getting there um, quickly. Enough. But he doesn't That's have, have all that all problem of on offense. <laughs> What's that?
0: He doesn't have that problem on offense. He
1: doesn't. He does not. <laughs> uh, but in offense, you're typically moving forward. Uh, or with some forward momentum and on defense, you're moving backwards and there to the go. side, it's a totally different thing. But That's right. but yeah, I mean, you know, I I'll kind of steer this back to you, um, so to, to, so I can hopefully maybe try to dominate the conversation a little bit less here. But I mean, you've been doing great about asking me questions and, and letting me you know, kind of share my views. But you know, they across the season last year, they played a more and more zone, and I am curious. If that might be something that they will rely on to some degree with some lineups that include him on the court, is, um, and then it's not just them. We're seeing more zone just adapted league-wide. across the league, yeah. too. That's kind of a league wide trend. So I'm curious. I think that we're going to see a pretty good, pretty decent amount of that to account for it, but I'm curious what your thoughts are there.
0: I mean, so much has changed it's yeah. hard to i mean you you look at the interior defenders that they had last year, save for Alex Len I mean oof
1: <laughs> <That was rough>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's It's so hard to say you know they don't and even Len I mean he's good at some things, but you're kind of restricted in what you can do um you don't have the same sort of flexibility. I mean, I think that's the appeal of a Kongwu, is that he's going to open up. If he's your center, he's gonna let he you know he's gonna let you be a shapeshifter as far as like what sort of defensive style you want to play, because I think that's gonna be his strength, is just the flexibility to play in any of those systems. If you play in a zone, like I think he'll be good at that. I think, you know, if, if, if you play in drop coverage, I think he'll be good at that. If, if you want him to step up to the level of the screen and help Trey out, I think he'll be good at that. If you want to switch, I think he'll be good at that. Like, I, I think his versatility to play whatever sort of coverage for a pick and roll is going to be his forte. And that's not what they had on the roster last season. So trying to, you know, Capella's going to be like that somewhat. Collins I think is growing in that area like his trajectory is going in the right direction um yeah I don't know like it, it, it it's 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 a wild card in my opinion I I think that's one of the things that if you look at what what the Hawks do on the court and look at the roster changes and the uh personnel changes like what do they have on their roster I think it's hard to say anything about what their defense is going to look like just cuz defensively you're not trying to work with Damian Jones and Jabari Parker and it's just different.
1: Yeah, it is. And and while Lynn did good things, Lynn is basically a drop. You yeah, know, he's big.
0: gonna be a drop. Or you could play Zone. That's it. You, those are pretty much right. your only two options if you're playing Lynn. You you right. don't and have they don't really
1: Right. And they don't really have any bigs that are limited scheme wise. Uh, anymore. I mean, when what I'm talking about um, Capella and a Konglu, um, and then thinking about who that, you know, that third big um, you know might end up being in the rotation and, and those sorts of things. But um but yeah, I, I agree. I do think they're going to be more aggressive with their big man. I think that's one reason they went away from Land and the way that they with you know going towards a Konglu in the draft and even the trade for Capella last year it just speaks to, to that to me. Um, but if they're, you know, especially when they deploy, for example, like Trey and Gallinari together, it's going to be hard to to do um, some things. Um, and, and Trey and Gallinari are just not going to give you um, the help behind the ball screen if your big man's away from the rim so I think when, when Trey and Gallinari out there together, and if you have those guys on your team, you should want to play them together a lot because of the offensive richness that they offer. Sure. Then, you, then you're then you going to have to adjust for that and account for that. And, and that's okay. And I think that part of this also factors into what is Lloyd Pierce's kind of brand as a coach. I, th- I think that people maybe mistakenly think about him coaching a drop scheme because he was in Philadelphia and a bead was a drop big. Right. But right. I think Lloyd Pierce prides himself on being able to do whatever, you know, For his sure. team needs to, you know, to from a scheme construct perspective, he can, he can coach a team on how to drop. He can coach a team on how to zone. He can coach a team on aggressive, you know, ball screen coverage and all that sort of stuff. And, and so I think that, um, you know, that's one of his strengths is being able to react to whatever kind of roster he's given. Uh, I think this roster is already taking shape to give him more tools to work with defensively, despite the downside of galinari and the fact that, you know, apart from Trey t- taking some sort of step forward is obviously someone to be accounted for. Um, but I think that's where his strengths really uh, as a coach come in Is is – how flexible and how diverse he is in terms of the different types of schemes he can coach on that end, and I think that the average Hawks fan might be surprised at how deep his um, toolbox is, kind of in that area. Um, but, but uh, yeah, I think it's I think Congo is going to be a huge part of where they're going in the next year or two, even with this in terms of being more aggressive at the level of the ball screen, and that's where Reddish and Hunter. And Snell so and hopefully Herder and there may be others because you know added to the roster um, the next few days. That's why they all kind of factor in being able to, to be the exact kind of guys that can offer that. You know, Hunter and Reddish both have a lot of a, long, a lot of length, and so does Snell. You know, and, and Herder is not quite as long, but he's surprisingly physical for a guy that doesn't have quite as much length and can play in a really smart way um, and stuff. And so that's that to me just tells me they're going to get their bigs out away from the rim helping it level the ball screen that means all the other guys um are going to have to have presence gallinari can't move but he's really long and really big and really smart and so that there's there's some things you can do with him to get him in a position to be more helpful than he might otherwise be and that's how i see the defense kind of shaping up in that way
0: uh, i've got three things on my mind at once but one is that Sarah Spencer just said that the the Hawks uh the Hawks still hope to get a deal done with John Collins who's up for extension I'm told just now so I mean they've said that all along but it sounds like they're still saying it post-Golinari uh signing and uh yeah just in terms of bad segues (laughs) kind of tangentially related but one of the things that I've been thinking about Uh, and it's kind of related to some transactions today, too, in Miami with Myers-Leonard. Uh, and defensive flexibility, and I don't know, it's kind of a bunch of things wrapped in one. But just, uh, you, you look at Miami, they, they put some money into Myers-Leonard today. And this is after they made the finals. They made the finals. Largely with Myers Leonard as a towel waiver, right? That's fair to say? Like, he didn't play, did he?
1: For sure. He did not play at all. But
0: they prized him. And, you know, know, they did a lot of lineups during the regular season where they played Leonard together with Bam. And then in the playoffs, it was time to sink or swim with just Leonard out of the picture. And I just think that that's a combination of a lot of things. But it's. It's kind of something that you might be looking at with Okongwu. I mean, I don't want to try to pin him unfairly with Bam comparisons, but you know, I think ideally his optimal position is going to be as a center. Travis has said that, you know, if the other team plays two bigs, you know, maybe he plays some power forward this season. Um, and I think we'll see it, and I think those minutes will probably be kind of ugly from a results perspective. But I just think that long-term You know, he's not of the size where you just say, you know what, you're our center. Like, he's just not that big. You know what I mean? He doesn't have, he doesn't have the, I mean, it's hard to say that about a 19-year-old. You don't know how he's going to develop physically. I mean, he's already pretty big and strong, but I just think that going forward, if he is a successful defensive center, that might be. And the Hawks, if they're a successful team, (laughs) a lot of ifs here. But I mean, I think you kind of cover for him in the regular season just from a don't take a beating kind of perspective where he gets to play with a lot more bigs. And then you do something if you get to the playoffs and he is a contributor because he's an exceptionally strong pivot in the middle defensively. Then you might just need to roll with him. But it might not be something that you can get away. 82 games. You can't get away with it. For 82 games a season, for 25 minutes a night, where he's your center and your power forward isn't a, a substantial big to play next to him, um, I think there's a value in that, and I I wouldn't be shocked if if the Hawks are going to track on some kind of similar course with a Kongwu in his development. And of course, he's 19, and that's a couple of years away. But I just you know seeing Miami kind of go through that progression through last regular season, the playoffs. And now this free agency period, like that, wouldn't shock me if if that was something that was in the cards for the Hawks somewhere down the line.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, I, I think that um, he is going to offer a lot of versatility. Um, I think that that's one of the things that made him attractive to be drafted where he was, despite the fact that guys like um, you know Denny uh, Adia was you know projected to go really high they passed on him and halliburton and um you know a few other guys that were kind of projected there and they, and they went to kongwu a, a and i think that does speak to his versatility i think that if you look at his development plan if you will like three years from now he'll be 90 percent of his time at center right. but between now and then probably more distribution across the two positions um and i think that you made a good point there that when a team is trying to develop a plan to navigate the regular season, that is very often a completely different plan for navigating a postseason.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's probably worth pointing out that the Warriors kind of did this too, and Travis was there with the Warriors. Like, this is kind of the Draymond Green conundrum, right? Like, you, you wanted Bogut there next to him, even if when the playoffs rolled around, it was like, you know what, Andrew, thank you for your contribution, uh, but right now, you know, based on what the other teams are doing, we need to play Draymond at center.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Ooh, and we got news: and, Justin and
0: Holiday, three years, eighteen million, the Pacers.
1: Good for him. He was uh, remember when he was in Atlanta trying to become a real rotation player not that long ago.
0: Yeah, I thought <laughs> um, Bud might try to steal him back, but they probably couldn't offer him that much. And yeah, he gets they, reunited with his brother.
1: He, he does. Just the other uh, brother. The other brother, yeah, and the. Quick sidebar the bucks are are not in a great spot <laughs> right no, this very second. Not. We'll see if they can kind of dig out of it. but uh, but but yeah, no, I think I think that's the Miami example is a great example. And then you know, I was talking about, for example, the zone, I think statistically, Miami ran more zone defense than anybody in the league. yep. Um, and, and so that might be a thing that might causes us to think about that. Yeah. And even in Denver, you see across the regular season, you saw a lot of, you know, Jokic and Plumlee playing together yeah. at different times. And a lot of that is about wear and tear and not asking, you know, your prime big man to to take on too much workload during the regular season, especially in a week where you're playing four games, not five, you know, and so, sometimes and things like that. And then also just, you know, if you have a guy like um, Gallinari who's so key to what you do on offense, you just don't want to expose him to the workload that's going to cause him to have to foul to protect the rim, you know? Yeah. And so there's a lot to think about and a lot of different ways that having another, um, valuable, versatile, big on the court can really help you, especially in the regular season context. And I think that, uh, Okongwu will offer that even this year, despite the fact that he's so young. All
0: right. Well, um, what am I missing? I, Oh, we, uh, we, about we, could, we could do that. Okay, talk about Herder.
1: Yeah, so I think he's a, a little bit getting lost in the conversation uh, about, you know, people are talking about Collins, obviously. And I think that's a fair conversation to have about what the Gallinari um, acquisition means for him. Um, we talked about that a little bit at the very start of this conversation. Same for Hunter. You know, I think everybody thinks Hunter, a lot of, well, I should say a lot of people think Hunter is a power forward. And again, I think one of the reasons they spent so much capital to trade up was his versatility. And I think that they are this front office at this point in time with the coaching staff is really building for versatile pieces around Trey that where they right. can kind of, you know, deploy different lineups and different plans for different matchups and different situations. Right. Um, and so I, I don't see Hunter that way that he's like a power forward and they're wasting time playing him with the three. I don't see that at all. Um, but when it comes to Herder, you know, I, I, and I, I hopefully I can kind of share my thoughts on this, and because you're closer to the team than I am, maybe you can bring a little bit more to the conversation in some ways than I can. But you know, I remember <coughs> about five months ago or so, I was um, putting some content out on Twitter as I do regularly, and I was showing a play that they ran for Herder, where he ran off a screen, took a shot. And I opined that I was uh, hopefully going to next year, the Hawks will do more of that, Herter. And, you know, your good friend and um, a guy that, uh, you know, I think most listeners on, on Brad's podcast and your podcast enjoyed Tyler and Tyler came back and said, he sucks at it, Glenn. <laughs> and, and I think that's important thing for us to think about and talk about a little bit because I think for Herter to be uh, the best version of of what the Hawks really need him to be and would like him to be. And I'm not dismissing his creation potential. That's valuable and good. But he needs to be able to come off screens as a shooter and present the stress that a guy like that can. And, I mean, we all throw the names out there, like Redick and Korver, and you know, their buddy Hield is is exceptional at coming off of screens and shooting the basketball we could go on and on.
0: See, I'm uh, offended. You are? Yeah. Why? Because you didn't even say Clay Thompson. Like he's like, oh. he's what he's the archetype. Like, and I, even this week, like when he got hurt, I was like, damn it, I don't want I'm Clay so Thompson to get hurt. Why? Why? Well, you know, in addition to everything else, I just think that he's been so undersold for his entire career. He is. He, I'm not supposed to curse, but mmm, he's yeah. so good. <laughs>
1: He's so good, but and honestly, the reason I didn't put him in there is because he's too him, good. Maybe
0: he's too good for that. But he's too good. He's, that's and what he, he does. In addition right. to everything
1: else, right? And but he he really has developed so much nuance to his game because of what the Golden State system is. You know, um, that I see him as being a little bit different of a player than like the Redick, Corbury Heald, um, and other players that kind of Joe Harris that you know that fit into that category and stuff. But but here's the thing the limitation for Kevin Herter has been getting his body ready for an NBA season, getting himself physically right, getting himself ready to physically handle the workload of a, a full NBA season. And here's the thing about a Redick, Korber, Heald, Harris, others is that none of those guys were that early in their career. And there's a reason for that those guys had to develop through really, really hard work and intentional intentional work the ability to sprint in the half court constantly and to be able to sprint off of screens, not just jog, not just have rhythm and timing on screens, but to sprint all the time. That's what those guys have to do. In my view of Herder after two seasons is that he's just not gotten himself to the point where he can physically be ready to sprint all the time. And I think that, you know, to Tyler's point, Tyler's right. He hasn't been a good shooter off of screen statistically or even watching him. <laughs> Tyler's right. He hasn't been good. But my analysis of that is it's because he's not con- he's not reached a level of conditioning to be able to sprint and make shots what in the middle of sprinting in a, during a possession. And so I think that a lot of what's writing on, you know, we kind of dismissed Herter as being an option to start. With the, as the roster's coming together, and I think that's fair. But I think that Herter still has an opportunity to kind of change uh, how he's seen and how he fits in, tying back to getting his body right, getting his body ready, and getting himself to a point conditioning-wise where, yeah, it is a little bit unfair because more conditioning and a higher standard around conditioning is asked of guys that need to be um, able to do that, provide that for their team, um, you know, but Corver and Reddick, all those guys, they embrace that and, and they develop the ability to take on a unique style of conditioning so they can constantly sprint and deal with that. And I just think Herder's not even come close to getting himself to a point where that's what he can do. But uh, like I said, um, you've been closer to the team. So if you have a different view on that, I'd love to hear it.
0: Yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, the whole, I don't phew. First of all, just and this is why I lumped Clay Thompson into that group, is that it's it's like an absolute Jedi mind trick to do what they do because <clears throat> normally you think about an offensive threat and it's what players do going towards the basket that's that's the problem you look at the players in that group, Korver, Reddick, Thompson, and they're they're such unique contributors because you have to worry about them going away from the basket. It's like the faster they go away from the basket, the more you have to worry about them. And it's such a unique con- conundrum for defense because when you're worrying about that, you get screwed. I mean, how many times when he was here in Atlanta, like Damari Carroll just got a layup because the defense was just so obsessed with you know, Kyle Korver running with his back to the basket away from the basket. Like, and if you can do that, it's, that's just an amazing thing. I mean, is it conditioning? I mean, I, I completely, it's almost like a causality thing. Like there's. I I don't know if you could say that it's a cause thing, but I do think that there's some circumstantial stuff there that you look at Corver and Redick and those guys, and it did take them a long time. And it happened when they were older and they had their man strength. And I don't think Kevin Herter has his man strength yet. I think, you know, he's still developing into his body. So, man, I don't know if you could say that's why, but I, I do think he needs to get stronger. I don't know if getting stronger or getting in better shape or whatever that is makes him better at that one Jedi mind trick, though, because it's such a freak of nature thing to be able to do what some of those guys do. I I don't know how much conditioning or training or anything even goes into that. I mean, obviously, with all these guys, I mean, conditioning is, is a huge factor because you're playing in the NBA against the most elite athletes in the world uh but yeah i don't know i mean it's 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 hard to pinpoint it he he definitely needs to get stronger like defensively you can see the times where he's just not strong enough going to the basket you can see the times where he's just not strong enough like you know he, he has to get physically stronger in that you know he just needs it for all sorts of things including you know, just sort of durability. I think as he gets stronger, he'll be a more durable player. But uh, whether it, whether or not it helps him with that one particular skill, I, I don't know. It, I don't. <laughs> it's such a mystery to me to begin with that what factors go into it. Certainly, being in better shape and being stronger helps, but I don't know if that's the missing ingredient because it's such a strange recipe to be able to do that to begin with.
1: Yeah, it is. And I think it's um, yeah, it's great to get your insight because you're closer to the team and you know, you're around them when they open up the facility, you know, practice and the, that type of setting and stuff like that. So that's, that's great to hear. I mean, these are the um, things
0: that you see in the game, though. I mean, for sure. The practices, they're not that physical. We don't, you know.
1: Yeah, but I think you can still get a vibe being around the team, like how a coach talks about a player. I, I, I assume. I mean, I think some...
0: Lloyd Pierce, you you can hear it in some of the things that he said, you know. I think you probably hear it in some of the things that Travis Schlenka said over the years, that, you know, they want more out of him physically.
1: Yeah, um, and yeah, and, and when and I... And that's
0: not a shock. I mean, somebody who's slender as uh, let's say a 20 year old when he's 20 and he's slender, that's you, you obviously you want him to get stronger and bigger and more physical. Uh, it's just a matter of, and it's going to happen. Half of it will just happen by nature as opposed to anything he even does. But, uh, you know, the rate at which it happens, the amount to which it happens, those are variables that we'll have to see. I mean, he's done some of it. Um, Mm -hmm. but you, you have to want more in that department.
1: You do. and, 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 when I was emphasizing sort of my view uh, of kind of the where he is, I didn't mean I didn't intend it for it to sound critical of like his first two years in the league. I just think it's a big aspect of year three for him. Oh, for sure and, you know and it's, and just, I, it's such and a rare never,
0: skill for players to even get though like how many people have gotten to that level at that skill? Yeah, I don't know I mean they they're they're rare birds
1: right but it, i but I think would I think what the team would want to see. Is hey Kevin, we'd like for you to try to get there. You know, the one thing you have the most control of is getting your conditioning to a level where you can't sprint that much. And you can deal with sprinting that much, and yeah, we're going to ask you to sprint more than anybody else on the team, anybody else on the court, and that is that is a big ask, you know. And, yeah. and but you don't know if a guy with his shooting talent can get to that level until you kind of get his conditioning there and then put him into those opportunities. And see if he can kind of get himself, you know, to that level or on the, on the fringe of the level of players like that. But I, I think, think it's given... a
0: sliding scale. I think it's a sliding scale for Trey too. But like with yeah. Herder, it's like, okay, he plays defense. He's free-lancer isn't the right word, but he's always going to sort of push the extremes on playing center field a little bit, you know, sure. a little bit more of a free safety than some other guys are. He's very cognizant of, of what the scheme is and where he needs to be to help. And he's ready to kind of get in there and help. So uh, you combine that with the fact that, okay, so he's going to have to move on defense more just because of the way he plays defense. But then, you know, he's going to be guarding players that are physical and stronger than him. So, you know, you, he's got a lot of workload just in terms of the ground that he wants to cover on defense. The and then he's not that strong. So if he gets bumped by somebody when he's playing defense, you know that takes a toll and wears on him. And it's like part of it maybe is conditioning, but he just needs to get physically stronger. And then his you know his conditioning probably will be spared some. It won't be such a toll for him to play defense as it is right now.
1: I think that's exactly right. I think it goes hand in hand. I think the conditioning and the strength, you know, it. If he's not quite as strong as he might be a year or two from now, if he's in better shape, he's going to have less impact from the banging, you know, and and all of that. The banging is going to wear him down less if he's in better shape. So I think they go hand in hand. I don't think it's one or the other. Yeah. But like Um, with Trey,
0: like his defense, I think he needs to, honestly, he probably needs to do less on offense if you want him to be a better defensive player. Like it's, he's not a superhuman. Um, For sure. If teams are going to pick on him, on defense every single play and he's going to be the initiator on every single play and be good at it it's going to be hard for him to be that defender that they want him to be uh, at his size because to be his size and be an impactful defender is an unbelievable task um, yeah, and it's you almost... have to have guys like Gallinari help him on offense so that he can conserve a little bit for defense
1: right yeah, and he's such a good shooter off the catch that if they can get the right complementary creation um, yeah, added to the lineup, he can stand in the corner fifteen <laughs> times a game. He, you know? He's not
0: a good off-ball shooter. He's an obscene off-ball shooter. Yeah,
1: like, he, you're right. He's a, he's like he of the, best the chart five in the league. Right at, at that. Um, you're right. I, I undersold that too much, <laughs> and um, and and that is a big part of asking Trey to do more defensively and making him more accountable for what he is and isn't doing uh, on defense. Um, And to kind of hit on Herter Herter defensively quickly, I don't want to, I could break this down to the atomic level because I was weird interested in really, you know, that level of things. But, you know, both Hunter and Herter, the closer to the baseline they are, the better they are defensively. In Coach Pierce's system, they rely on a lot of top-locking type technique right right and that's really well suited for i think what they see herder and hunter both doing reddish can defend anywhere in the half court and right. be disruptive and all that sort of stuff he can get on he can defend the on ball he can deny a guy the ball if that's what they want to do um but when it comes to herder and hunter it's really it is using a lot of top locking and using that baseline as an extra defender and a lot of funneling um type of defensive play And that can be pretty physical, especially when guys are trying to fight the top log. They're going to push you around and get into your body and all of that. And so I think Hunter has that body today. You know, Hunter was what two years older than Herder was when he came in the league, I think. So that's understandable. Um, Right. He's
0: top blocking when he's on the strong side of the ball, but then also when he's on the weak side of the ball, he will really kind of roam and freelance. Like he, He he, he will, he will sag way down.
1: He will. And he, and he, he gets punished for it sometimes because he doesn't ha- quite have the length that like Reddish. Yeah. He and Hunter 2 to jump, get back out of the perimeter and mm-hmm. close out. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's where he hurts him a little bit. So, so that that's there. Um. But you know, for me, I I not so much that I think what Herter did year one and year two were were not good. I'm I still am pretty high on him yeah. and and all that. I think that people who look at him as a guy who quote has to start. Um. You know, I don't see that i think hawks fans are maybe struggling a little bit with realizing that when your team gets good that roles are going to be um um reined in a little bit for some guys and that's a very natural thing um and there's nothing wrong if herder doesn't even start a single game this season if that's the right way to go he can still add a ton of value and still develop towards all those yeah, pretty and optimized he can still play a ton of minutes things.
0: i mean that's the other thing is like if he, he comes off the bench, how many minutes can he play? Like, I mean, can he for, he'll yeah, probably I mean, play like 30 still, minutes a game just coming off the bench?
1: At least 27, 28. And yeah. then when there are injuries, when there's foul trouble, he can right. handle more. And then on top of that, you know, he is so right now, he's their best, their next best pick and roll creator, you know? Right. And so that's critical, you know. And so I don't, I don't want. Well, I guess what I'm going to caution against can is, use
0: Gallinari like in that role. Or, how much? How much can he do in that?
1: He pick and roll creation. He can create a ton. Yeah, yeah he can. He he he. So he'll surprise some folks. Yeah. about that. But also in the mid post, you know, Vince loved to work in that area, and it, it's not what they naturally want to do with like all of the the normal sets they run and stuff like that. But sometimes, like you just you're playing a third game of fourth night and guys are just exhausted from you know running pick and rolls and you're like okay tonight we're gonna take the third quarter and take half of it and let gallo just operate in isolation and let him go to the free throw line 10 times you know or whatever it is he uh, gallo can handle a bigger workload than nor than he normally has on the nights where you need that and on the nights where that matchup exists and to be honest with you that's something jc has not developed the ability to do yet no you know, I mean, they, that, a, they've,
0: they've said that that's what they want. Like when they talk about, okay, what's the next thing for John? Like, that's sort of the next thing. Right, and but I, he love, hasn't done it I yet.
1: John's face-up game, but that's a, I think that's a part of bringing Gallinari in. It's just that they want a guy who can do that from game one of the season, and John's just not there yet. And I, I love his face-up game and what he can do, um, but he's not there. I mean, Gallinari's, what, 32, and he's had, what, I think, 11, 12 seasons in the league. So why would yeah. you expect them to be no, there? But I, I that's think right. that's a big part of why Gallinari's on this team now. Yep.
0: I agree. All right. Well, okay. Now that we're an hour and 15 min- minutes into this, <laughs> is there anything else that we
1: forgot? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm excited to see who else they add because they still have, what, like 24 million in space. Um, I mean – And I don't think that's going to go wasted. You, I mean, you got to be –
0: do you okay? That maybe maybe that's where we should end though. Like, do th- that's an interesting question because now, if you tap into that, then you're changing the cap space for the next summer.
1: Sure.
0: uh So, do you think that that's something that they're going to hardly jump into, or are they going to be like, well, oh, maybe we should wait? And of course, the other thing that factors into that is there'll be more teams competing with them next season when if if they choose to try to save space next summer. Right now, yeah, there are well, as many teams.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and that's where, like, that's why, one reason I would have loved, like, a Garrett Temple, because he could have helped them this year, but and not... And just give him the one-year deal
0: that he ended right. up getting,
1: yeah. Right, um, and then, if if some people feel like, oh, what are you doing with Gallinari, if they want to be serious players, and for you to see next year, they need to have a, a much better season this Right, year. these guys that's, who can help them it, yeah. this year, mm-hmm. and Gallinari can do that, for yep. sure, you know, so that's something else to think about. But, you know, there's been a lot of noise about Bogdanovich. I think you mentioned him earlier in our conversation here. I think that's a big one. I even um, put out on Twitter once Harris got signed back in Brooklyn or, um, or committed to resigning there, like, hey, I think that's a big one off the Hawks you know, bingo card, if you will, and that they can kind of move on to the next thing if they had any aspirations of getting uh, Joe Harris on the roster um, and such. So, you know, I th- I still think they're going to add – uh, like a shooting guard or a combo guard that can really help them this year. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a point guard. Um, Optimally, yeah. like a
0: one-year deal, or do you think that they'll go? I
1: I, I think it'll be a one-year deal yeah. or a like or a sort of team like option or deal. Yeah, or not guaranteed job. money. They can move if they need to, you know. Yeah, that sort of thing. But I mean, like, I think like even if like like I said, Shabazz Napier would be a really affordable version. He hasn't made more than the minimum, I don't think in like, what, four or five years. And he's been really helpful to, to teams that are trying to accomplish like real things, like he played on Portland and Brooklyn, um, you know, teams and, and such. Um, but, you know, I have no idea if B.J. Augustine or a guy like that is gettable. I have no idea, you know, what's going on with J.J. Barea with all the roster turnover going on in Dallas. So I think there are a lot of options. Uh, and I think that, with the rest of their money, unless they unless they love a guy like Bogdanovich, and you know really want to commit to him, I frankly, as much as I like him individually, I don't really see the commitment for the Hawks making a ton of sense, you know. Right. Um. But um. But I, you know, I'm excited to see what they do. But I think it is going to be from here more likely to be one year deal or two year deal that has the flexibility that they can move it ahead of next off season if that's the right thing to do to clear space for. You know, one of the really good players that's in that class.
0: So, Rajon Rondo's the guy you want then?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I
0: mean,
1: it's, it's probably going to happen as soon as we're done here. Just like that.
0: <laughs> Within like seven minutes.
1: But, yeah. Before I even
0: get this posted.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'll just say I lived in Minnesota for 11 years before I moved to the West Coast. And I'll just say, like my um, fellow Minnesotans would say, um, that would be my first choice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right then well thank you glenn i appreciate your time sir
1: my pleasure always always fun to, to talk hoops with you always enjoy it all right have a good one you too